The following podcast contains explicit language. One definition of explicit language is stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. That's why we use those words. Welcome to episode 335 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This episode will air on Monday, January 31st of 2022. That means that you have uh, three days to register for the March 2022 LSAT. The deadline for that is on February 3rd. Uh, The February LSAT is right around the corner starting on February 12th. Good luck if you're already registered for that test. Remember, if your practice tests are 10 points away from your goal, you probably should just withdraw from that test. You won't get your money back, but you won't waste one of your attempts. And uh, as we'll talk about later on the show, those attempts are something that you should be trying to maximize. Uh, We have news, Ben, from the LSAC about the testing dates for the upcoming cycle. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's there's no reason to force yourself to take the March, uh, the the February exam. We've got March, April, June, uh, and a couple more tests after the cycle resets in August. So, you know, at this time of year, there's no ever any real credible reason for people to be. F- uh, Uncle Sam's paying for it, or you're going to get literally deported if you don't start law school this fall. <laughs> Those are the only acceptable excuses that I know of for uh, trying to rush in an, a super late application. So if you're not ready for the test, don't take the test. Yeah. Uh, we had a whole bunch of emails today. Anything uh, particularly notable that, that we can uh, tease? Oh. Um, Somebody who wanted to take a Fulbright, a question about whether they should take or not take a Fulbright scholarship to Argentina? Yep. That was notable. The quick answer is yes. We had a um, person who applied to USC with a 170 and a 3.96, and the estimator said they'd get a full ride, but they were more than full, and they didn't. They got wastelisted. We talked about that and maybe why. Um, Question about somebody who had poor grades in undergrad because of an abusive relationship, and the question that they wanted to put that abusive relationship into their personal statement. We gave a hard no on that. A bunch of other random topics, including Mm -hmm. somebody who is uh, really struggling in reading comprehension, even though they're perfect on logical reasoning. So we gave some advice there. Cool. All right. uh, Ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. uh, We have an email here from Spencer about the uh, new cycle uh, test dates, LSAT dates. You want to uh, read it? Yeah. Hello, Ben and Nathan. LSAC posted the next cycle's LSAT administrations today. It looks like we're lucky enough to get an August and an early September LSAT. They also note that the LSAT will remain online. Do you think the September 9th, 2022 date would still be early enough to apply next cycle? Regards, Spencer. So the new dates, thank you, Spencer, and a bunch of other people who sent this uh, to us when it was announced, uh, as well as we, we get it directly from LSAC, but we still appreciate getting it from you. Um, help at thinkinglsat.com, by the way, yeah. if you want to send us any news or tips or whatever. Um, yeah. 
the new dates, the ones that I wasn't sure about, like I knew we had January, February, March, April, 2022, yep. and I knew that we had June, 2022, but now we have on the calendar officially August starting on the 12th, September starting on the 9th, October 14th, November 11th, and then uh, January, February, April, and June of next year. I, I laughed a little bit. I, it's always, it's so interesting to me that they call this, um, well, it was in a different email. Where was that? Well, this is not a good story because I, I don't remember my facts, but um, <laughs> the, the cycle as they announced it yeah. was almost exactly one, si- one year late of what I think the cycle actually is. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, it's like, so this is obviously 18 months worth of dates here. Sure. Um, so this is not what they call a cycle, but they just like, they think the admission cycle for the year, I think they think the cycle ends on June. That's what they call the cycle. In fact, I know that's what they call the cycle because that's where they do the reset for if you, uh, have used your three attempts in the previous cycle and you want to take it again, as long as you cross that border before the August test, then you, the cycle resets, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a weird assumption that they're operating under in which it's like, Hey, you can take the LSAT this cycle. Wh- what? You're going to yeah. take it in June. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you then, know, I'm reading and this go book. Go to law school that fall. <laughs> I, I'm reading this book. Uh, I'm almost done with it now. This book, Misbehaving, by uh, mm-hmm. Richard Thaler, um, yep. who was kind of a renegade. Uh, he invented the field of behavioral economics, um, which was totally in contrast to the very mathematical, theoretical oriented economics. Rational, uber rational. Assuming that all actors yeah. are rational, which, you know, it's like just demonstrated to abundance now that people are not rational, but anyway, it's about, he, he invented nudges, right? And he was one of the co-authors of that book nudge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he, (laughs) the fact that they call it a cycle that ends in June. Yep. It's either intentionally or unintentionally incentive incentivizing students to think about that that way that like oh yeah oh i can take the lsat in the spring and still be this cycle you know and law school um application deadlines also feed into that because especially at the lower ranked you know bottom feeding schools Mm -hmm. they are they're accepting applications into may and june and even sometimes later yeah and at those um, bottom feeders, you know, they, they would love for you to take the June 2022 LSAT and start law school that fall, <laughs> which is horrifically They haven't bad. filled their class yet, right? They're probably right. like, yes, please, please come here, um, right. pay full freight. We know right. you're not going anywhere else because everywhere else is closed or right. not foolish enough to accept you. So Right. And uh, no, it just like it was ironic to me because for us, like our cycle Mm -hmm. pretty much ends with the August LSAT for that falls applications for the next 
year's admission because yeah. we want you to get your applications in in September. Yeah. Because we've sent hundreds or thousands of students to school for free who followed that advice. Yeah. Um, anyway, to get back to uh, Spencer's question, you know, Spencer is clearly uh, a student of ours, a listener of the show. And Spencer is asking very sensibly, can I take the September 9th, 2022 LSAT and still apply in that next cycle? That is for, <laughs> for 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, what's your uh, advice for Spencer? Well, um, it, you have to remember that you're going to get your score two to three weeks after that. So yep. you're really getting your score in the end of uh, September. Um, for some schools, you know, they're, they're, they open applications on October 1st. So you could take the September LSAT and still be first in the door, at least at those schools. But you are going to be behind others at other schools. It's definitely not ideal. I, I don't think I would lose any sleep over it, but I'd much rather you plan ahead and, and aim to get this all done by August, especially now. We're talking about this in January. I'm not sure why Spencer is contemplating this test date too much. Let me make a... Like I would, yeah. Well, we have no idea. We don't have that many details here from Spencer. But what if this is Spencer's last, like, fifth attempt? Fifth attempt, yeah. Right? What if he took it three times in this cycle? It resets before August. He takes the Mm -hmm. August test and he has the September test on his calendar as a last chance backup. Yeah. I mean, it's just the the problem is, again, everybody is like they act so irrationally. They interpret new facts in the in the in the light that they want to interpret it in. Right. Mm-hmm. So the second I say, oh, yeah, that would be great as a backup, like final, final, you know, you're definitely not taking it later than that. And then people will go, oh, OK, so I'll schedule my first LSAT on <laughs> September 9th, 2022, which if that's what you're doing. If that really, if you're planning on taking it for the first time in September of 2022, then I think that you are clearly an applicant for next year. I think that you should be, because that, that's only your first attempt. Yeah, most people should be taking the test at least two or three times. It's, it's just surprising to get the best possible score you can get on your first attempt. If it happens, great. Um, but, you know... I don't know why this analogy came in my mind because I have no experience with hunting whatsoever. But <laughs> Neither I was do imagine- I. Okay. <laughs> I was imagining like shooting at like some, this is probably from movies or something, like let's say a bull is like charging you, right? And you have your, 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 your big gun and you're trying to shoot it before it knocks you out of your position. Um, you don't so want to wait. Mind- People hunt bulls with. <laughs> okay, look, it's what my mind came up with. All right, it's not. I'm not saying it has any basis in reality. All I'm saying, just imagine trying to shoot at this bull. You don't want to wait until the last second. You want to, or other some, some just whatever, some wild animal that's like coming at you, right? Like you're gonna want to aim carefully. You're not gonna want to just pop off shots, but you're also gonna want to take some shots earlier than the last possible chance you have to hit it and still have it fall down to the ground before it gets to you, right? Like, 
that that's the mentality we yeah. want to avoid, right? September 9th is your last shot, your fifth shot, not your first shot. And because then you're probably going to have to take a couple more. Yeah. And now you're too late. Well, yeah. I mean, if if you if you only have a one shot musket, <laughs> then the advice changes, right? Because you're going to want to make sure you hit. And so you would wait until the last second yes. before that. If you had a one shot musket, but no one does. Bull yeah. is charging you. <laughs> And you have a musket. <laughs> if you do, though, yeah, I mean, you want to wait to the last minute and blast it direct, you know, point blank, right? Yeah. But we got at least three shots in the mm-hmm. chamber. Mm-hmm. And very frequently we have five shots if we're going to cross that imaginary line where the LSAC resets the cycle before the August LSAT. Yeah. And so, yeah, so what I would say to Spencer is if that's your fifth shot, then more power to you all all blessings to you do it <laughs> all blessings <laughs> yeah yeah stir it upon you Spencer. yes yes <laughs> yeah uh and it but if it's your first shot then um well i just think that you are you should clearly be trying to apply uh in the next cycle which would be a full year after that yes apply, you should um, be much further from the bull than you now, are now. Law schools and law school admissions folk, including you know some fancy consultants or whatever, will laugh at that advice. But I feel like they are complicit in a giant scam, basically, to overcharge people for law school tuitions. I mean, we're not talking about just getting you in. We, we, don't, we don't want you to just get in. We want you to go for free because so many other people do. And we want you to be on that side of the bargain. And um, people who apply earlier in the cycle get better scholarships. They also get better offers of admission. But they definitely get have- better scholarships. <laughs> It's just better to be a little bit earlier. I'm not great at this. Um, I'm I've gotten a lot better over the years, but um, you know, I I understand the idea. Uh, my son, my oldest son, has a tendency to leave with just amount, just the right amount of time yeah. to get to work, and I'm always like, you know, look, yeah. there's no problem with getting there early. You're just going to sit on your phone like you are right now, right? Nothing, right. nothing is going to happen. But when you hit traffic, which he did, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago and then was in, he ended up being late. You're stressed. You're, you're like trying to, you know, edge in front of some other car <laughs> to cut, shave off 10 seconds. Yeah. Right? Speaking like, of cars, I mean, ready for another analogy? Yeah, let's do it, it. It's like driving around with a, with your tank almost on empty. Yeah. What are you talking about? You get close to a quarter tank or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying fill up your gas tank at seven eighths and fill it back up to full every time. Sure. That's crazy. Even filling it up when it gets to halfway every time. I feel like you're wasting time by filling up your gas tank too much. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're filling it up too much. But But if you wait until the last minute, that's also dumb. It costs the same to run the car with a full tank as it does to run the car with an empty tank. You know you're going to drive. Make the investment and fill up your damn gas tank. Yep. 
and then you'll never have any worries and you won't make yourself late for things because you had to emergency stop for gas at the last minute. It's just like, I mean, you also could be like a bargain shopper and fill up when you see cheap gas or when you know you pass the gas station that you know is cheaper then stop right there and fill it up and, and, and drive around. Yeah. So just being earlier, it's like, stop being so deadline oriented and instead just take action. Yeah. Um, so Spencer, you know, like think about where we are right now. We're, I I hope Spencer's working backward. Yeah. If he's working backward, then he's doing this absolutely perfectly. He's like, well, okay, cycle resets before the August test. So if August is my fourth attempt, September could be my fifth attempt. But then that means, Spencer, that you have three more attempts in between now and then, three attempts in this cycle, and you probably would be targeting March, April, and June of 2022. You know, that would be like our perfect advice. Uh, Unless, of course, you're ready sooner and if you're ready sooner, then there's no reason not to take February. Uh, but you totally already agree. would have to be registered for that. Um, While I'm thinking about it, uh, the registration deadline is coming up. I, I know we'll, we probably already announced this at the top of the show, but February registration um, is, oh, sorry, March registration is on Thursday, February 3rd. So when this airs, you only have a few days to uh, plan ahead and register for that March exam. If your practice tests are close to where you want to be, then you should go ahead and register for that March exam. Yeah. And that could be Spencer's first attempt, right? First attempt in March, second attempt in April, third attempt in June, if necessary, fourth and fifth in August and September. And then you're still applying early. You have four shots to still apply on September 1st and a fifth shot to apply October, early October, yeah. which to be clear, that would be after some of the scholarships, many of the scholarships uh, went out this year. Like uh, I distinctly remember Penn State Dickinson going crazy this last cycle, sending out multiple full ride offers in the first week or two of September. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's on your, that school's on your radar or not, but, uh, like they are giving out money in early September, make no mistake. So, uh, that's why we give the advice we give. Totally. All right. Ready to move on. Yeah. Thank you, Spencer. This next one. Uh, hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a premium user of the demon and I have loved studying with you all. I am taking the LSAT for the second time in February. I hope that I am prepared at that point, exclamation point. I wanted to ask your advice on a big decision that I have to make in the coming weeks. I was selected to be an English teaching assistant as part of the Fulbright program in Argentina. As a Fulbright scholar, I will be regarded as an ambassador of the United States and will have the opportunity to teach English to college students in an Argentine university for eight months, March to November of 2022. I was honored to be accepted to this program and have been excited to go. However, now I am reconsidering whether participating in this program would be the best choice for me based on a number of factors. I asked an admissions officer at a low tier university. We don't say tier, by the way. We don't know what tiers are. So let's just say low ranked school. 
whether having Fulbright Scholar on my resume would make or break my admission, and they waffled. <laughs> Predictably. I know that I will get the blunt truth from you guys. Do you think I should participate in this scholarship? Or perhaps stay in the U.S. to work in the area that I am passionate about and plan to shape my career around, which is environmental law? Am I an idiot to pass up this amazing and prestigious opportunity? <clears throat> the factors I am currently weighing are, and then we have a bunch of bullet points, uncertain COVID-19 conditions, uncertain work conditions, uncertain living conditions, not fluent in Spanish, eight months is a big time commitment, time away from loved ones slash loneliness, cannot travel outside the country for the whole duration of the program, Desire to work on environmental causes instead. And uh, this listener wanted to be anonymous. Um, first thoughts? Well, my very first thought is stop thinking about what's going to look good for your admissions. Like, but, 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 shh, shh, shh. Like, no. Don't. <laughs> don't even think about it. You almost made me spit out my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's, so what, so what, this is a very thoughtful email, by the way, with lots yeah. of <laughs> considerations, right? But it, yeah. but it is missing the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. the, the one thing that they did not mention ever is LSAT prep and taking the actual LSAT. Yeah. Because that's my biggest concern is, hey, what's the deal with international test dates if you're trying to apply this fall, you need to be taking the LSAT this spring and fall, as we just discussed. Yep. Um, I will change my region here to South America. South America dates are January already came and went. April, starting the week of the 29th. And then June starting June 10th. And then it looks like there aren't any dates yet announced for the remainder of the season. Um, how are you going to maximize your LSAT prep? How are you going to maximize getting your official score on record? And if you really are going to be just in Argentina for the entire year, it looks like our whole previous discussion about how you would have five shots at it, like your your uh, bull hunting musket, you know your your bull hunting gun just went down from. F Presumably, they are going to announce more dates for the fall, but we don't know when those are right, and they could just be like, oh yeah, we're going to offer it in uh, November and December. Yeah, your your muskets not only losing shots, you're literally taking them out, right? You're like, okay, I'm by making this decision, I'm gonna now have fewer opportunities to shoot at this bull. But I, I will say I'm I don't know. Yes, we we've said it a lot and we can say it again here, and you're saying it now. The most important thing in your application process is your LSAT score. So you've got to get that to the highest possible score you can get, and then 
you can think about other things if you want to. That said, um, I guess I don't, on some level, I don't even care about that. Like I would say, Hey, if you're interested in doing this thing, if you want to go be a full bright, bright scholar and that, that excites you, you said you're, you were excited to go. Now, I don't know if you're excited to go because you see this as a prestigious thing, but you're not actually interested in what you'll be doing there. Um, that's probably not the best motivation, but if you're excited to go because of what you'd be doing there, um, I would go do it. It's yeah. eight months. It's in a different country. You're going to come back a different person in a way that you're not going to change if you stay here in the States. Couldn't agree more. And my gut response, and I already emailed this listener and I said, yeah. I think you should do it. <laughs> I definitely think you should do it. But you know, if you're sure that you have to apply to law school this fall for next fall, yeah. I, I, then maybe not just because of the LSAT, but all this other stuff, uncertain COVID conditions. Well, the, the conditions for COVID are going to be uncertain everywhere. Uncertain work conditions. That's the entire point of going to Argentina to teach English. Uncertain living conditions. Yeah, that's Same. the point. Yep. Not fluent in not fluent in Spanish, and well, y if you do it right, you will be fluent in Spanish when you come back. Yeah, eight months. Take Duolingo with you and start talking to people. <laughs> oh, just talk to people. Just, I mean, just don't talk to any other English speakers. Like, teach your English classes and then speak Spanish and read Spanish and immerse yourself in Spanish as much as you possibly can. Which actually means maybe stop your LSAT prep or get your LSAT done before you leave. Uh, this user or listener, sorry, student does say I'm taking the LSAT for the second time in February. So maybe they're just done with the LSAT. <clears throat> now that would be a dream if they're done with the LSAT and they just go to Argentina in March, then yep. yeah, go forget the LSAT, go learn Spanish. Um, eight months is a big time commitment according to this student. No, it's not. Think about yourself <laughs> five years from now. You're going to look back and that eight months is going to seem like a flash. And you're going to say, wow, I'm so glad I went and I met these amazing people. Yeah. I still am connected to some of them. Um, I came back and I had a new, you know, a clear vision of what I want to do with my life, with, which may or may not have to do with environmental law. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just... Maybe maybe well, <laughs> you even get another perspective on environmental challenges in other countries. Yeah, that's like what I, I said imagine it's too. worse. That's what I said yeah. too. It's like, well, the environment, the thing about the environment is that it does exist in Argentina. It's not like mm -hmm. there's not the environment or environmental. I mean, there's opportunities there that you can't possibly know about unless you go. Yep. There is, there is just no way you would learn about First-hand experience is going to yeah. be like, wow. These people are struggling with this. I never even like, I, that is such a challenge. And if we could solve yeah. that problem, that may give you motivation yeah. to do more stuff when you get back. Well, yeah. Or when you come back, you, you see, oh, in Argentina, they deal with these issues in this way. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I can apply that here. I mean, it's, um, time away from loved ones slash loneliness. You know, I don't want to discount that. Um, but we do have Zoom. Nothing stopping you from talking to people if you get lonely. I would encourage you not to because of the Spanish immersion. 
But, you know, if you need to talk to your mom, you can always talk to your mom. She's five seconds away on Zoom. Um, cannot travel outside the country for the whole duration of the program. Again, it's eight months. Unless you needed to travel to take the LSAT, I, I don't, I can't, who cares? You're, you're supposed to be there for eight months. That's the whole point. Eight months is going to be fast. Oh my I, I God. Just, I can't even like emphasize that. And as more middle-aged folks, we can tell you that that effect intensifies the older you get. <laughs> like time goes faster and faster. Uh, and yeah, that eight months is just tomorrow. It's nothing. Uh, desire to work on environmental causes instead. We already covered, you know, there's this, yeah, you'll figure out whether you want to work actually on environmental causes or maybe something else. You're a young person. You have your whole life ahead of you. Maybe the environment is the thing for you. Trying out this other thing is a really good idea. Um, you'll either like solidify that this is actually what you want to do or you'll find something else that you want to do potentially. The biggest mistake, and Ben, you already said this, but the biggest mistake is, you know, asking some law school admissions office whether the Fulbright is make or break. I mean, the only make or break on your application is your LSAT and GPA. <laughs> there is no other make or break. But ambassador of the United States sounds pretty fucking good. Yep. I don't know anything about the Fulbright program, but I'm impressed when I hear someone say that they had the Fulbright scholarship. Yeah. And, and you said this too, Ben, this person is so clearly excited about it, mm -hmm. which is the most important part of this just full stop. You know, you, you need, you're a young person. You, you are going to excel at the things that you're really excited about. Yeah. Or you're going to go do it and it's going to suck. <laughs> but you'll never know unless you do it. Uh, I, th I, I still think you're going to come home glad you went. Like, you're, you're yeah. like, okay, well, I learned some hard shit. Uh, I wanted to say, to say one more thing about the loneliness thing. I, yes, we have Zoom. You can talk to your family. But I think you're going to struggle with loneliness if you largely focus on yourself and how you're feeling rather than immersing yourself in your job, yeah. getting to know people. I think you said, too, like learning Spanish. Like put yourself out there and look at it as, a, as an opportunity that's going to be over actually pretty fast. And so if you don't get in there and start meeting people and start helping your students and you know, getting to know your coworkers, um, you're going to regret it, but it's also going to kind of fix your loneliness problem. I just don't think you're going to, you're going to struggle with that if you do that. Yeah. I, I mean, you also need to learn to self-soothe on your loneliness anyway. Like, you know, we, we are ultimately, I don't know, I don't want to get too philosophical on you, but like we are ultimately alone in life and you have to take care of yourself. I mean, you're like, you have one life, it's yours and yeah, you've got friends and family that you can spend time with, but you ultimately have to take care of yourself and, um, you know, like you shouldn't be so reliant on your existing friends and family that you can't go 
away for such a short period as eight months. Like think about how this uh, student's law school admissions um, perspectives might be currently affected by the same loneliness idea. Yeah, like it could uh, steer you to law schools that are close to family. Yeah, like, oh, no, I'm a West Coast person. I'm not going to apply to Harvard because I'll be too lonely. Yeah. Wait, what? I mean, if you're going to play in the big leagues, you need to be ready to move to D.C. like that. You need to be ready to move to New York City. You need to be ready to move to London. I mean, like... And then huh? go make friends there. Like there's no, there, there's <laughs> right. not a shortage of people and people that are compatible with you, you know, that are, that you're going to enjoy being friends with and getting to know and all that. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my best friend, uh, when I was in, it was the summer between the, my sixth, and, sixth and seventh grade. And I, I, I'm from a small town and I had known these same people my whole life. And, uh, I remember anytime my folks talked about moving, I was like terrified, you know? Oh no, 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 no. I have friends here. I like, I just, no, please don't. Like, I I don't want to change schools. I don't want to change cities. I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything different ever. And I ended up not doing anything different ever. I went K through 12 in the same small town. You know, I went, I I went to two schools (laughs) all the way through 12th grade. And, um, my best friend, uh, moved after our sixth grade year, Hmm. Uh, his family moved away and I bet it was terrifying for him, but in the long run, that guy is so much better at making friends than I am that it's just not, it's hilarious. He, he, everywhere he goes, he instantly makes friends. Hmm. I mean, instantly. Yeah. I go everywhere and I make friends nowhere. <laughs> I'll be traveling. I'll be in the same place for a month and I won't meet, I won't have one friend. Yeah. You know, it, cause I like never learned how to do it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, I, I just th- this this adventure, this life opportunity seems to me like a clear yes. I I don't think you could possibly say yes fast enough to this. Yeah, I agree. Despite in my original thing about the LSAT, I mean, you don't need to start law school in 2023 anyway. No, nope. you you could start law school in 2024 or 2025 or never. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> There's always the or never. <laughs> I mean, best case, <laughs> there's the yeah. or never. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, okay, cool. Thank you so much yeah. for that uh, thoughtful email. C- clearly, you know, weighing a, a seems like a pretty heavy decision. It's like ultimate. The other thing is like, ultimately, it doesn't fucking matter what you do. Yeah. Flip a coin. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> your life is going to happen one way or the other. This seems like a great opportunity. I. This is the type of thing where saying yes is probably the thing to do. Yep. Um, but you don't have to, you're not, you're certainly not obligated to, but I wouldn't, this whole litany of reasons not to do it, you know, like COVID, uh, that doesn't, that's not a good reason. 
Okay. Um, what is this thing? You put this on the agenda. Yeah. So I was listening to an Audible book um, or an audio book on Audible, and uh, this person claimed that there are four learning phases. I'll go ahead and read them here. So one, I'm curious whether you think this is true, and um, to the extent that it is true, how do you think it applies to the LSAT? I had some ideas, but I'm curious what you think. So the four learning phrases, according to this person, are one, first, unconscious incompetence. Okay, so this is, we have to do Donald Rumsfeld here. Donald yep. Rumsfeld it was a thing, many of our listeners are too young, mercifully, like, to even that? know yeah. who Donald Rumsfeld was. <laughs> the <laughs> known unknowns? Yeah. In the Bush administration, <laughs> mm-hmm. Rumsfeld was what? Secretary, Secretary of Defense? Secretary of Defense, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This was before the Department of Homeland Security was even a thing, probably. Yep, yeah. Um, when they were running around starting wars in the Middle East and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, before 9-11. This is and, the first, this is Bush Sr. Oh, that's right. This is not George W. Bush. This is in the first mm-hmm. Bush administration. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, Rumsfeld is one of those guys who was around forever, I think. right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to, hard to get them all straight. <laughs> when you realize in retrospect that they're all the same, but yep. Um, <clears throat> he was given a news conference, right? You wanna... Yeah. And he had this whole, it, it, it like became a meme before there were memes. This yep. is like in the, this was before, <laughs> before that happened to people. But yeah, he had this whole thing about, well, you've got the, the worst thing is your unknown unknowns. Yeah, and then he went through yeah, the whole well, thing he, of like. Yeah, he started. He's like, <laughs> so the reporter was asking him something about like I don't I don't remember, but you know, hey, what do we what do we not know? And he's like, well, okay, there's there's the known knowns, there's the things we know we know, there's the <laughs> known. Wait, was it unknown? No, <laughs> I don't know if he actually talked about unknown knowns, things you know but you don't know you know them, and then there's known unknowns, things we. No, we don't know. And then there's unknown unknowns, the things that we right. don't know, we don't know. So, and that's what he said. And everybody's yeah. like kind of sitting there starstruck. Um, yeah. What? <laughs> so the way you've got this here, unconscious incompetence, that's the mm-hmm. unknown unknowns. That's the worst. That's when you just don't even know you don't yep. know things. And uh, that's yep. most students who come talk to us have a lot of unknown unknowns. Yeah. Um, then we have conscious incompetence, which Rumsfeld would have called that the known unknowns. So, you know, yep. a list of here's all the things that we, we know we don't know. Yep. We know those we are good. suck at, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. those are good because you, you can, like, investigate those and get better, right? Then yep. we have conscious competence, which is the known knowns. So that's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we studied this. We learned this. We know we know this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have here as the fourth phase, which I assume mm-hmm. means the best phase, unconscious competence. And yeah, I don't think Rumsfeld talked about that, but that would be the unknown knowns. And I think what you mean there is like stuff that we have learned so well that we get to forget it. Yeah. I, and I think that's what this author was saying. I, um, when specifically when he was talking about, well, we can go through all of them actually, but unconscious incompetence, right? As you were just saying, so many students come to us and they're not even aware of what they suck at, right? It's like you you need to get good at evaluating arguments and figuring out why they're good or bad. And they don't even know that they need to do that. And they don't even know that they can't do that, right? And then at some point in their studies, they're like, they hear you say it enough or they hear me say it enough. And they say, oh, okay, 
I now know that I need to dissect these arguments. I need to unpack them so they're consciously incompetent. They, they are conscious of their suckiness, right? Their inability to do something. And, and like you said, that's a good start, right? That's where they can start to work on something. And then, at least in this book, is like, okay, then you get to this phase where you're, you have conscious competence. So the way he described it, um, you, you know that you need to dissect these arguments. You need to figure out what's wrong with them. And you can do it, but you have to do it consciously. Right? Like you have to remind yourself, you have to think of it as you're doing it. Like, okay, what's the conclusion? Right. Why is that conclusion not supported by the evidence? Right. right? And then the unconscious competence, and I actually think there might be a fifth phase here, but not that he mentioned, but I'm, now that we're talking about it, I want, I want to mention it. Unconscious competence gets, gets to the point where you're reading the argument, and as you're reading it, you're pointing out the problems, and it's, it's, you're, not even, you're not going through these like explicit steps to get to that competence, mm -hmm. right? It's just happening as you're reading. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where we're trying to get everybody because you, you do go pretty slowly when you have to break it down and you're like, okay, okay, well, what was the conclusion? And it's like, we're, we're determining that something is a conclusion as we're reading it yeah. or even before we read it, right? It's like, okay, the conclusion is about to come next. I can feel it and bam, it does. Yeah. That's a, that's a form of unconscious competence. Like you don't even have to think about the process as you're doing it. And I think where we're at, Nathan, because we teach this, is it's, it's almost like this, <laughs> you're conscious of the process, right? It's like, a, it's like a fifth level. So you can turn around and teach it to someone else as opposed to just merely doing it mm. yourself. And I, w I don't know what you'd call that. But um, anyways, when I heard that, uh, it was in a different context, but I thought, hmm, what does Nathan think? Yeah. Thought I'd share it. Yeah, I like it. I'm glad you did. Um, this, uh, I, I have a, uh, I don't know if, well, tell me what you think of this, but this, it made me think of the unconscious competence thing. It made me think of logic games. And mm -hmm. I, I've been talking about this a lot lately. When you're making worlds in logic games. Yeah. You are, I say this all the time. I'm going to eliminate rules. I'm going to yeah. bake my rules into a solution. Yep. So that I get to forget about those rules. Sure. Students who are new will frequently later in the game, I will catch them going back to the and rereading the rules again. Yeah. And it's like, hey, stop it. Yeah. We built these worlds, but it's like, but I don't even, you know, people be like object, like, but I, but I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that I forgot about that rule. And yeah, and it's a beautiful teaching opportunity because that's exactly the point of making these worlds. Yeah. This is why more and more now, I, I do not advocate writing down the rules ever to begin with mm -hmm. at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. If I know that I'm going to use worlds to solve the game, I don't want to write down the rules for many reasons. But one of those reasons is I am going to get to not, not like, it's not like uh, it's an accident. Mm -hmm. It's intentional. 
I am going to get to forget about this rule by baking it into my solution. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we can call that unconscious competence in that rule because mm-hmm. we have arranged it in a way that we now have full competence over that rule. That rule cannot affect us. We have fully yeah. applied that rule into our solutions and now we don't have to think about it anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. What, what was the rule? I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't remember. I don't give a shit. I've baked it into my solution and I am now fully competent without having any consciousness. And then that lets me use my precious, my, you know, precious resources of conscious thought on other stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I mean, that's, that's exactly why, um, you bake them in so that you can not worry about them. And if you bake them incorrectly, you can't violate them. So then they don't matter. Right. That happens a lot of times too, with like variables that are left over. It's like, Hey, we have these variables and someone's like, Oh, well, what about that rule? And it's like, yeah, but that, that rule could never be violated given right. the way we've set this up. So you're even if you tried, you couldn't violate the rule, so you never have to think about it again. Yeah, we we have already sorted that out. It's we don't have to think about it. Um, the other thing that this makes me think of, and I don't know what you'll think of this. I think that Kaplan and you know some of the other like real bad, frankly. Mm-hmm. LSAT companies, they, they, they take, many of our students have unconscious competence to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I yeah, will, they're unaware I mean, of why they understand that no, rule or well, whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, you've never studied the LSAT at all, but you can still get a 160 or a 165 just right out of the box, which some people can. Mm-hmm. because the test makes perfect sense if you just read it carefully and figure it out. Yep. It's like a yeah. test of English and logic, and you should be good at those things. So, you know, you you just do it naturally. You have, you have unconscious competence of much of the LSAT to begin with because it's yeah. just, it's like common sense, y'all. Yeah. In large part, it is common sense. And if you start with Kaplan or Princeton or some other real heavy-handed theoretical approach, they like take away your unconscious competence yeah, and crowd your mind with like, oh, you need to be thinking about this and this and this and this other thing. And you need to be memorizing a whole list of numbers and bullets and, you know, type 2.9 and like all this, <laughs> like super, you know, heavy handed theory. They like bog you down with all this stuff and then now you no longer can get a question right that you would have just naturally unconsciously gotten right. So it's like for them, they take those students from phase four mm-hmm. <laughs> right back to, you know, at least one click back, <laughs> but probably a couple clicks back. I, I think so they, ch- they this- change unconscious competence into conscious incompetence a lot. Well, actually, what it is is it's um, <laughs> if I were to come up with a phrase, false conscious incompetence, because they're conscious of an incompetency which actually doesn't 
matter or it, it's not actually something that they are incompetent at or they are incompetent at it but it doesn't matter because we don't care that you can't diagram the way they want you to diagram it's like oh they're aware that they can't do that thing but who cares that you can't do right. that thing because it's, it's like a misguided is better than conscious competence <laughs> yeah i would rather that i mean and this really is it's not just logic i mean this is the whole foundation of our approach mm -hmm. if you can get it right without knowing really why Great. Fantastic. You don't need a name for it. You don't need a label for it. Mm -hmm. If you really can get them all right, then we don't need to talk about it. Like we need to talk about the ones where you are displaying incompetence. Yeah. This is why we don't waste time blind reviewing, you know, the ones we got right. <laughs> this is why... Um, we don't study theory first. We, we just do questions first. Our, our whole philosophy is built around the idea that, hey, the test will tell you which ones you suck at. Yep. <laughs> and then we can help you build competence, probably first conscious competence, and then eventually we can get you to unconscious, uncom unconscious competence. That would be great. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Cool. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for uh, entertaining that. <laughs> no, that was very useful. Um, this next thing is uh, coming from a, a former demon student called Ty. Uh, says, wow, which sounds like good news, um, but then it turns into bad news. I have just yep. received notice that I have been waitlisted at USC. This is a major shock. With a 170 and a 3.96 GPA, the scholarship estimator showed more than full. I remember hearing on the podcast to report major discrepancies. Feel, sh feel free to share on the podcast, and I hope to report better news soon. And this is from Ty. You have a note here that says Ty thinks that he applied on December 11th. Uh, is that germane, do you think, to this discussion? Well, um, he didn't get the scholarship amount that he was expecting based on the estimator. Of course, it's just an estimator, so it could be wrong. But I wondered if applying later in the cycle hurt his chances. I'm going to lsatdemon.com uh, slash scholarships. I just tried, by the way, lsatdemon.com slash estimator to see if it would work, and it did not. That might be an also a, a useful uh, redirect for us to have. Yeah. If you've, uh, if you can put that on the list. Um, so lsatdemon.com slash scholarships and, uh, with a, what did he say? These are awful good numbers. 170 and a 3.96. Okay. 3.96, 170. Update. Um, yeah, lots of potential full rides and uh, more than full rides. USC, yeah, it is suggesting a more than full. Um, I have two hypotheses. Well, three hypotheses. One, you applied too late in the cycle. Two, they have waitlisted you for yield protection. If you're, you are clearly an excellent candidate that can get into 
many top 14, top 10, like potentially with those numbers, you know, um, 170 is a little low for Harvard, Stanford, Yale, but you, you very likely could get into lots of better schools, including right across town, UCLA. And, um, they might've just said, uh, this is somebody who's uh, probably likely to deny us. So rather than admit them, we will waitlist them and find out how much they really want to go. You know, if, if, uh, if Ty had applied to 30 schools, which we, 30 might be a little bit extreme, but we always advise people apply to 10 or more schools. And if Ty had applied to a dozen or 15, 20 schools, then, you know, it's possible that Ty wouldn't really be that interested in going to USC and the school might be totally justified in saying, yeah, why don't you let's, let's, let's put Ty, especially cause it was late in the cycle. Uh, let's put Ty on the wait list and see how interested Ty actually is. You could always write a letter of continued interest, continuing interest, um, but yeah, I mean, you're above their 75th percentile LSAT and you're also above their 75th percentile GPA. And I, I don't think yield protect, I think people think about yield protection more than is actually merited because these schools ultimately, they need applicant, they need students. I mean, they, they just need bodies every year, a whole new crop of bodies every single year. And they do need people with high numbers that they can report. And so I don't think that people get yield protected, waitlisted that often, but this one feels like potentially they just look at you and go, yeah, probably not that serious about USC. My third hypothesis is bad personal statement or like real bad, like where you overshared something in your application that made you look like a risk. What do you think? Sure. Any of, those, any of those three stand out as being the most likely? It's hard to know without knowing more. Yeah. But it's a possibility. And maybe that can help Ty <laughs> unpack what happened and, and write back. Any, uh, you know. Easy solution that. for Ty. Um, withdraw all applications and follow our advice and reapply at the beginning of the next cycle. Things will work out well for you if you do. I mean, people hate hearing this advice and the people who actually follow this advice have just wonderful outcomes in the next cycle. Yep. And it'll be here before you know it. I mean, you'll have, you'll have scholarships in hand, um, before 2022 is over. If you withdraw all your applications now and reapply on September 1st, we don't know what other offers Ty is getting, but if those offers don't really knock your socks off, um, don't settle for some bullshit when you didn't apply at the beginning of the cycle, like we recommend. I mean, December 11th, that's a full three months after we would advise people to apply. That's not, yeah. that's not good um, in our book. So 
your best bet is probably to just burn the boats. Yep. Rather than, you know, take the risk of accepting a shitty offer because that's all you got this cycle and people just throw up their hands and go, well, I really wanted to start this year. My folks really want me to start this year. I, I, are they paying? I mean, I, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Go ahead. Ready for the next one? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I just started taking classes with the LSAT demon two weeks ago and love it. Awesome, man. I found your service through listening to the podcast, which may be a bit backwards, but I am very happy that I did. I think that's how most people find it. Maybe these days. Anyways, I have an application question. Though I am focused on I am focusing on studying for the LSAT, I keep in the back of my mind different personal statement ideas, etc. So this is a question about my personal statement. I went to Boston University as an undergraduate and left with a not so great GPA of 3.01. Now I'm finishing my master's at George Washington University with a 3.94. I have a strong application package to show that I'm a mature and competent applicant. Okay. However, part of me really wants to explain why my GPA at BU was so low. It wasn't that I was partying or not focused in school. I had good, a good reason for my grades, which ultimately led me led to my interest in law school. Whoa. Trigger warning. I experienced a three-year abusive relationship, which ultimately led to him being found out, found guilty in court. Okay, I don't want to bring, I don't want to hear about any of this, really. Nope. <laughs> my question is: Should I explain in a personal statement why my grades were low if I can turn it into a success story, or should I just move on and emphasize my wins? For example, one idea I have is how I overcame hyperdependence on an abuser to becoming extremely independent in the Peace Corps and as a park ranger. If if people are... (laughs) What? In your personal statement? Personal statement is an elevator pitch. What are they going to walk away from? Or what are they going to walk away with from this very short interaction that they're going to have with you via your personal statement? And that gonna, whole thing, yeah. how I became hyperdependent, how I overcame hyperdependence on an abuser to becoming extremely independent in the Peace Corps and as a park ranger, you're throwing 10 things at them, and there's a huge risk that they're going to walk away with hyperdependent on abuser. Or just hyperdependent, like, uh, okay. Or just abuser. Uh, or abuse, yeah. yeah. Like, still talking about her abuser, bringing her abuser to law school with her, at least in her head. Like you literally brought the abuser in in writing into their office. <laughs> you know, this reminds me of a thing I heard, and I think I heard it in law school, and maybe it was in my trial advocacy class, or maybe I heard it somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. The point was the, or maybe it was a movie. <laughs> um, the person who I think was an attorney said, if you say three things, you say nothing at all. And I don't know how true that is, but I think it's true. When, when you are done listening to this podcast, what are you going to remember? Probably one thing. Bull hunting musket. 
Yeah. <laughs> Great. That's going to be the takeaway. But maybe that's visual enough to give people to plan ahead for their tests. But uh, they may not even remember why we were talking about that. Um, it's just the nature of our minds. We, we tend to remember things that are visual, and we tend to remember only one or two things, probably usually just one. So this person's point was, or this attorney's point was, like, focus on the thing that matters. And what matters in your law school application? your LSAT score. That's the one thing you really have control over. Your GPA also matters, so I'm glad you're thinking about it, but the problem with bringing up excuses is that you end up focusing on the excuse yeah. as and opposed to on your wins. Peace Corps, that'd be great. That's a win. Park Ranger, also great. In fact, maybe even better than Peace Corps just because Park Ranger, wow, that's so cool. Park Ranger, amazing. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear more about Park Ranger. You know, to these schools that like never stop talking about how they want uh, balanced, multiple, like they, they want uh, interesting, uh, multidimensional, you know, whatever. Yeah. Park Ranger, man. You kidding me? That's amazing. Not overcame hyper dependent on abuser Park Ranger. Because now I'm imagining you. In an abusive relationship, I'm gonna, I'm imagining you being hyper dependent. I don't entirely know what that means, but it's not a good image. And so you're placing these images in their heads, and then they have to, those images have to compete with your winning images. We've said this a thousand times, and I've written about it. You need to put your best foot forward and only include facts that are good for you. Ben, you said mm. that if you say three things, you say nothing. Yeah. I might go a step further. To a skeptical reader, when you say three things, mm -hmm. you only say the worst of those three things. You say the worst of those three things or just a generalized, uh, this person is confusing or misguided or unfocused. <laughs> it's not a positive thing. Yeah, it's that's this is nothing but a bad. I mean, that it's like in in real in reality, of course, this is a good thing. And, you know, maybe you should write an addendum. About your low grades. But if you are going to write an addendum on the about the low grades, I still would be very cautious about bringing up your abuser. Yeah, this you this abuser you, this whoever's reading this application is not interested in your abuser being any part of their law school. They they do not want this story in their whole universe. I mean, I'm sure that they are sympathetic, probably like pretty progressive type. I'm a I consider myself to be like a pretty liberal progressive type of a person, and I like am very. Like I'm sympathetic, but I'm, I'm hiring attorneys. I want people who are good at marshalling facts in their own favor. And you come in with, it's just like bad shit. It's like, why do I want to hear about bad shit? What? <laughs> why, are, why are you bringing things into your case that the opponent is going to immediately latch on? You know, if, if like I had to make a case against your law school candidacy, You've now given me ammunition to go, well, you know, I mean, this person has a history of 
not just dependence, but hyper-dependence on an abuser. This person has a, this, you know, like if I have, and now it's like, I, I, I do not want to make this case anonymous, but there will be somebody there who wants to make that case. I mean, like there's, there's going to be somebody who wants some other applicant instead of you. I mean, I, I think, I think we've made our point. I mean, it's, <laughs> I yeah, think. it's, it, it, this is not a reason to admit you. And so then it's probably not anything that you want to put anywhere, I would think, in your application. Yeah. Um, Anonymous continues, should I write about this sensitive topic, which I personally still feel very delicate about, with the risk of making the admissions team feel uncomfortable? No, we just answered that. I don't want to go through the emotional labor of digging this memory back up just for it to backfire on me. Okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're... You're sensing that this could be a problem and your sense is right. So I hope that's clear. I worry that I will be seen as making excuses or perhaps problematic to their school for what I experienced. Yep. You're absolutely right. You're hundred percent right. And so let it go. Move yeah. on. Yeah. So somebody who knows what advice we're going to give. Yep. Cool. Thanks for writing. Yeah. Looks like no, you got some reviews writing. here. Sometimes people <laughs> need to be told directly. You know, um, they, they, they know what we're going to say, but sometimes they need it told straight to their face. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. Speaking of, we have a review. <laughs> I only have a snippet of the review here. Um, the, it's a five-star review and the okay. title of the review is great exclamation point. As long as you can get over the host's bluntness. Okay. <laughs> I saw that and I chuckled and. Then it says, the hosts, Ben and Nathan, have a wealth of knowledge. And if you're going to use one study tool for the LSAT, the LSAT demon is the way to go. I began studying with Kaplan, but it was not helpful. These guys really cut through the crap and get straight to the point and have been incredibly helpful. And it goes on. And I, I only have the little snippet here because I copied and pasted an image. But it, it went on to name me specifically as being like particularly blunt. Okay. And my, my response to that is like, it, I all, I just kind of shrug and I, I guess, thank you. Uh, but I, I want to make a t-shirt that says normalize bluntness. Okay. Because why is it so fucking remarkable that we try to tell the truth? Why, why don't we, why, why, why don't we try to get to and disseminate the truth in the world? It's like, yeah, everybody's so well, full of shit. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, I'm going to play devil devil's advocate here. And I, I'm going to say something that I think I'm, I'm trying to work on, um, at least in the podcast and people can criticize me for failing to do this, but I, I think there's immense value in being blunt, and I think I've learned a lot of that, obviously, from from you, because um, you're extraordinarily blunt on the show. You're also just generally blunt but kind um, in so many other ways. But uh, I think that when I sometimes say things that are blunt, I may also say them with an air of, I don't know, disdain or something like that. And I, I'm trying to purge myself of that to the extent that I can, because I, I don't want it to be 
about me at all. Yeah. You know, it's like, here is the truth. Um, yeah, let me say it to, to you in a way that's clear and blunt, but not in any sort of condescending way. And I, I, to the extent that I'm doing that, I want to stop. I have been accused of condescension. I, I don't think that I am condescending. I, I, I think that I genuinely want to help and I want to be as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm just going to say it. I, I got, I had emails yesterday from somebody talking about, you know, one of our current students talking about wanting to apply this cycle. Yeah. You know, and the reasons were related to, well, my folks really want me to go. And I, 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 I had previously wanted to go to a PhD program, but I didn't, you know, blah, 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 all these r- reasons. And I'm like, that's a terrible plan. Yep. That's a terrible reason. It's a terrible idea. You yeah. asked me for my advice. I'm giving it to you. And I'm not, that's not, I don't, I don't mean to be condescending at all. <laughs> I'm just like, my opinion is clear and I, I want to help you. And I have helped a million other people make better decisions than this. And so I guess that's, that's all I'm really trying to do. You know, it, and so I don't, you know, I don't really do the feedback sandwich. I, it's not, I'm not going to bullshit you and go like, well, I'm not going to waste five minutes going, I totally understand that you have these issues with your family and oh boy, it must really be hard that you previously applied to this PhD program and then decided that that didn't work out and blah, blah. It's like, what? I want to get to, because I mean, I don't want you to take all that as an excuse for, oh, okay. He says it's okay for me to do this. If my opinion is don't do it, that's dumb. I'm going to say, no, don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm, and I'm not even saying that you're condescending. I'm just, just thinking about myself. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've probably laughed too much at people's uh, grammar mistakes or whatever. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's bad. It's wrong. You messed this up. Figure that out, and then move on. You know, I gotta just. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to avoid. Now, I apologize for anybody's. Um, you know, perceptions that I am condescending. It is, I assure you that it is not my intention. I mean, I'm not successful because I am condescending. Mm-hmm. I'm successful because I help my students be successful, right? Like I, our interests are aligned with our students' interests. Yeah. Like we, we're in this for the long haul. And we, we really only have, if you think about our business, we only get paid one time from people. Right. Like they, we don't have repeat customers for 20 years. Yeah. We, we have customers to the extent that they work their way through and are successful eventually on the LSAT and the ones who matter to us long-term business wise are the ones who create successful legal careers because those are the ones who other people are going to ask them, Hey, what did you do for LSAT prep? And they're going to say, Oh, Ben and Nathan helped me go to LSAT demon. Right. So we're like really closely aligned with our students outcomes. Yeah. And we're, we're only successful to the extent that they are successful. And so I'm not trying to like make fun of anybody or like, I don't want to bring anybody down. I want to lift you up. Um, and the way I've always done that, I mean, it, it, I guess it goes back to my core philosophy as a teacher, which is, 
you will not believe me unless I always tell you the truth. And so that's my job is to tell you the truth always. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to hear, but I'm going to try to tell you the truth so that you will trust the things that I have to say. And yeah, sometimes you're not going to like the things that I have to say, (laughs) but that's because I, you know, you're, I don't know. I want you to actually believe the the things that I say. So I just try to not be full of shit. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, anyway, that's, good. that's my, that's my defense of myself for, from this five-star review that we got. Cool. Thank you very much <laughs> for writing in. I did get a chuckle. Thanks for the laugh. All right, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So the next one is, this is from a demon user. It says, okay. That was wild, but after taking your advice to take more time on setups in Logic Games, I scored my first minus zero on a Logic Games section nine days later. Maybe it's just a one-off or I just got lucky, but I went from not finishing game three to finishing the section in just nine days with one bit of advice. Um, To give a little context here, this student had written in and said that um, he had been practicing logic games, drilling logic games for, I don't know, a a few months or something like that, and was scoring nearly perfect on the drilled games, but was still taking 20 minutes per game, was not going fast enough to, you know, finish these games. And although we always focus on getting things right first, uh, yeah, once you can get them right, it's like if you're taking 20 minutes on a game, that's not fast enough, especially on these easier games. And so I ended up looking at his data and I noticed that for some of his games, he was spending one minute and 18 seconds, right? For example, on the setup, cause in the demon, mm-hmm. I, I can see that. And then, uh, 11 minutes Mm -hmm. on the questions or, you know, two and a half minutes on the setup and then another 15 or 16 on the questions. Like, whoa, that is so um, skewed, you know, lopsided toward a a question-centric approach to the games that I thought there's just no way you can be spending enough time on your setups or your diagrams. I often feel like I'm spending 50-50 or even more, right? It's like I'm spending 75% of my time on the setup and then bam, 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 the questions are over. And there's no discussion. The the question is, you know, the class is not asking anything because everything has been solved. I'm a lot closer to Mm 75-25 than I am to 25-75. Absolutely. And this guy was like 10-90. 1090 or worse. Yeah. And um, so I just said, hey, it looks like you're not spending enough time on your setups. That's really all I said. And this is apparently what happened to him. He went from not finishing (laughs) the third game to now finishing a section in just nine days and getting none of them wrong. Um, This user continues, I know you reference sports a lot or apparently bull hunting, but the only (laughs) thing I did was snowboard. Moving into the questions without making sure your setups are correct, full, and you know how the rules interact, is similar to not lacing or strapping the snowboard firmly to your feet and rushing down the mountain. You're going to have a bad time. I mean, uh, I don't know snowboarding that much, but it seems somewhat fitting, right? Like if you if you're like want to get onto the slope so fast yeah. 
to You'll get look down. like you're in the lead for the first little bit, the like kind of flattish, <laughs> yeah. straightish part at the very top off of the chairlift. You yep. can do that without strapping in. Yeah, you'll look yep. look like you're winning the race. Yep. But the race is to the bottom, not yep. just who gets off of the starting line the fastest. And uh, this, by the way, um, it's not just games. We see this in logical reasoning and in um, reading comprehension all the time. People finish yep. the passage, you know, they think they've read it. They're working on the questions and I'm still working on the passage. And it's yeah. like, hey, wait a second now. Really? You finished it before I did? Okay. You comprehended that passage faster than I did? Okay. I mean, I've never had a problem with speed in reading comp at all. So you could be some savant. Or you could just not be really reading it properly. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll find out <laughs> when we see who got the questions right. And even who finished the questions first, because a lot of times... Yeah, I'll finish the section on time, and you won't, even though you finished yeah. the passage before I did. Same with logical reasoning. Um, you know, these days in class, I've been uh, sharing screen. Yep. So, so students have no control over the submit button. Yeah. Uh, they have to, like, sit there with the question in their face. And I have them direct message me the answers their yep. answers. And uh, very frequently, people will send me an answer to the question while I'm still like grappling with the argument. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also very frequently, the answers that come in first are wrong. Yeah. So it's like, oh, good job. You rushed to a wrong answer. Um, that's not how it's done on this test. And, you know... The idea that that we're going to race the clock, um, yeah. I think that some people, you know, they end up getting a six-point improvement by yeah. racing the clock. They go from mm-hmm. 150 to 156, and they think they've done well. Yeah. But we want you to go from 150 to 170 by slowing down and actually understanding it and seeing how easy the test actually can be. So. Yeah. This anonymous user, I mean, it could have been just a one-off. It's just one section. It's one data point. Yeah. But we've seen countless students make this same leap. And me personally, and I think you as well, Ben, when I, when I scored my first perfect section, yeah. I, next day I did another section and I was perfect on that one as well. That's not to say that I was perfect on every section I ever did from that point forward. But when, when I like, when I understood what I was supposed to be trying to do, which was solve the system, actually understand it, learn as much as I can about the system, then answer the questions. Then I started to realize how easy it actually is. Yeah. So I would imagine that this is going to be sustainable for this student. Yeah. Much better than it was at least. And try to, t- try to take this over to your other sections as well. I mean, even if you think you're good at logical reasoning or even if you think you're good at reading comp, if you're not perfect, my, my standard hypothesis would always be you're probably reading the argument too quickly in logical reasoning. You're probably mm-hmm. reading the passage too quickly in reading comprehension because it's just not as hard as you think it is. Yeah. 
Okay. What's this one? Well, this one is from Fran. It says, Hi, Ben and Nathan. A few days ago, I scored minus two on games and minus zero on logical reasoning and minus 11 on reading comp on a practice test. That's pretty dramatic. Yep. I was happy to score in the mid-160s, but pretty annoyed and unfortunately not surprised by my reading score. I've always struggled with reading comprehension. I was listening to a past episode of Nathan talking about putting in the reps for logic games. I took a look at my demon dashboard to see how many reps I put into games and realized I've spent 11 more hours working on logical reasoning and almost 16 more hours working on games than I have on reading. And we have a screenshot here of the dashboard mm -hmm. in the demon. Okay. 17 hours of total practice in reading comp. And uh, yeah, 20, 32 hours in games. Mm -hmm. Almost twice as much time working on games as working on reading comp. Pretty, pretty common, huh? People uh, bury their heads in the sand on the section that they're worst at. That's um, not uncommon. It's also common for people to feel like and this is kind of a flip of that situation, but they feel like they get reading comp. And so then they just completely focus on games or, or even logical reasoning without touching reading comp. And pretty soon they realize that they're worse at it now. Yeah. Uh, Fran continues. I was seriously favoring logic games and logical reasoning over reading comp. And I didn't even realize it looks like I need to put Nathan's put in the reps philosophy into my RC studying. Thank you, Ben, for putting enough analytics into the demon to be helpful and motivating, but not so many that it's obnoxious. <laughs> and then she writes, cough, seven sage, cough. <laughs> <laughs> and that is from Fran. Thank you, Fran. Cool. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly saying I hate analytics. Let's get rid of analytics. And Ben is responsible for judiciously putting in analytics that, uh, as Fran says, are actually helpful and motivating. Cool. Yeah, definitely put in the reps. Any, I mean, it is your weakest section by far right now. Yep. So what, you think Fran should probably be putting 60% of her time, maybe 70% mm -hmm. yep. of her time into reading comp at this point? Yeah, I mean... She got minus zero on logical reasoning, minus two on games. Definitely room for improvement in, in games and, and possibly even logical reasoning. But reading comp, there's so many points on the table. Mm. Like even if you, you know, take away those two points that you're missing in games, um, you can make more than five times the progress uh, by improving in reading comp. Minus so. zero on logical reasoning and minus 11 on reading yeah. comp is something that indicates to me, not just you haven't been working on it, but you're doing something strategically wrong. Yeah. You're thinking about it wrong. Um, if you're finishing the section, you have no business finishing the section on reading comp. If you're missing 11, you could miss seven or six. If you only read the first three passages and answered those perfectly. Yeah. Um, or maybe even minus five, or if you get a guess right, uh, which you should. So mm -hmm. 
consider if you're at four passages right now, Fran, consider going down to three. Um, and I would say, try to, uh, some students have gotten some mileage out of the idea that they're going to treat reading comp more like logical reasoning. Like, attack the passage in reading comp the same way that you attack the passages in logical reasoning. Like you, you're not getting minus zero in logical reasoning without calling bullshit on those arguments and really understanding what's there. Sure. Reading comp is much more like what must be true, but by attacking the argument, you're much more likely to remember it. Yeah. You'll understand it. Yeah. You remember arguments you have with people that you disagree with more than you have, (laughs) than you remember conversations you had with people you agree with. I mean, it's just the nature of what we focus on and what sparks our memory and our interest. Yeah. So take a bit of a confrontational approach with those reading comprehension passages, you know, read the first sentence and go, yeah, what about it? What, what, what do you want? Why are you wasting my time with this? Yeah. And read the second sentence and go, okay, well, seems like you're getting closer to your point, but you know, you've told me what Johnson thinks of this issue. I want to know what you think about this issue. Are you going to get to your point? Yeah. And continue to like, just aggressively ask, you know, got to get in there, dig in there and like really, really take that passage very seriously. And then as Ben said, once you get to the questions, it's just, they're all just a bunch of must be trues, except for maybe one or two strengthen or weaken questions. Um, answer <laughs> we have to say our mantra remember our mantra oh yeah <laughs> i will choose the correct answer because the lsat has given me everything i need to know or something yeah, like close that enough. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. something like that yeah. yeah the passage tells you all the information that you need oh, yeah. to answer the question like the 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 passage another way of thinking about it is the passage is a collection of all of the right answers Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not asking you to speculate. They're not asking you, you know, what would the author say next? They're asking you, what did it say on the page? You can vouch for one of these answers based on the evidence that was in the passage. And so treat it like you're obviously treating must be trues on logical reasoning. Yeah. I mean, you're doing that part perfectly. So there's no reason why you can't also do this on reading comp. But I might slow down and try to do it with three passages before seeing if you could do it for four. Anything else? Nope. Thanks for writing. Yeah. Thanks everybody for writing. We're getting lots of good emails these days. Uh, you can be LSAT famous, uh, by emailing help at thinking We love getting news. We love getting questions. Uh, anything you want to talk to us about help at thinking If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email the best customer service team in the world at help at Please check out our other podcast, Five Days a Week, First Thing in the Morning. That's LSAT Demon Daily. Those are shorter episodes, uh, more focused topics. Check that out. That was episode 335 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>